0: We have started a new sermon series called the Gospel of John. And we're going to be in the Gospel of John for probably two and a half years or so. We're going line by line, phrase by phrase, looking at how John presents Jesus to the world. And uh, last week, we started with John 1, 1 through 2, and today we're going to be in John 1, 1 through 5. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open up to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, or you can go to, your, go to, your, uh, go to the Bible on your um, phone, your um, iPad, and uh, click on Bible Gateway there, uh, or uh, you can follow us along. Now, keep in mind, there are four Gospels in the New Testament, and each Gospel is written for a certain group of people presenting Jesus to those folks. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke uh, are very similar. They're called the synoptic gospels. They, they, they share in the similar stories, they're, they're written around the similar time. Um, Mark is a shorter gospel. Luke sort of presents Jesus as a as servant. Um, Matthew presents Jesus as the new Moses here. And then there's some time. And the new gospel is presented toward the end of the, of the first century. It's the gospel of John. It starts in a new place. It has new stories. And it's a new cultural culture that we're talking about in a moment of how John is presenting Jesus to that culture. And what I like to see the gospels, the gospels are about good news, right? The good news is Jesus Christ, the, the fulfillment of what God has done through the personal work of Jesus. And, and I like to see these gospels as the biographies of Christ and how John is presenting the person Jesus to the world today. And so please join me in John chapter 1, in the first five verses. John writes, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. My friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We looked at last week how John begins his, in- his introduction, how he begins his presentation of Jesus to the world that he starts with this eternal presence that Jesus is eternal. He goes all the way back before things ever began. And last week in verse 1 and 2, he, he says Jesus is eternal. Today I want to focus on verse 3. Verse 3, that says, Through him all things were made. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that had been made. And what John is telling us is like, I want you to go back in the beginning. I want you to go back to Genesis chapter one and Genesis chapter two. I want you to go back to Genesis chapter one that in the beginning, God created, that Jesus was there. And John is telling us that, hey, I'm I'm presenting Jesus who's going to do a new work, a new creation in this world. And Jesus was eternal. And then today he's going to talk about Jesus was the originator. Jesus is the creator. And he tells us, With light and darkness, how God created light and darkness, created light amidst darkness in day one. And the first work that Jesus, the light of the world, has come in to darkness. It's a central theme throughout scripture. That Jesus was present when all things were created. And all things were created through him and for him. The Apostle Paul, when writing to the church in Colossae, picks up this thing. This is what he says. He says, for in him, in Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and also things on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. What I see Paul doing here is taking what John is saying here in, in verse 3 of chapter 1, and then he gives his interpretation to it. He said, hey, listen, that all things were, were created through Jesus. Jesus is a creator. He is the originator of all things, that we can trace all of our origins back to Christ." that we were created for Christ, we were created for relationship with Christ, that all things in heaven and on earth, all things that we can see, all things we can't see. And then Paul goes on, and even all the thrones and the powers and the principalities were were created by Christ, for Christ. And in Colossians 1 verse 17, so therefore he sustains everything. All things were, were created for Christ, and by Christ, and through Christ. Which begs the question, why here in the beginning of this gospel does John introduce Jesus by connecting him to creation? That, that why would John, in presenting Jesus, Matthew doesn't do this, Luke doesn't do it, Mark doesn't do it, but why, in John's gospel, written toward the latter part of the first century, why did he feel it was important to present Jesus with these words, through him all things were created, and without him nothing was created? Why would he tie creation and creator to the identity and the person of Jesus. You know, Karl Barth, a renowned theologian, says that, that when, we, when we preach, when we share the good news, that we need to have the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other hand. Now, he's not saying that the Bible and the newspaper are the same authority. What he's saying is, is that the Bible is the word of God. The word of God has to speak into what's happening in our world today. Now, there has to be some connection. It has to be relevant. Now, we don't have newspapers now, and we all are, are sort of getting our, our snips and our newspapers here and there and our information here and there. But the word of God, what he's saying is the word of God must speak in, in a relevant way in what's happening in our culture today. I'm going to get to that a little bit later in the message But I think that's what John is doing here because he he knows right now what is happening right now in the church of the first century, in the culture of the first century, is that there is a dominant philosophy that is eroding the identity and the person of Jesus. And it all stems from this question. How do we resolve suffering and evil in our world there was a group of people who knew that this world was not as it should be. Just like as you may be feeling that right now. That, that there is evil, and there is suffering, and there is pain, and there should not be. That there's something in our soul that's saying, this world should not be suffering. The world is not as it should be. And so a group of people began to figure out, okay, we need an answer. And so, a group of folks began to to sort of take the truths of the Christian faith and make it a philosophy and make it a theory rather than truth or a plan of God. And, and And they put together this idea. It's called Gnosticism. It comes from a Greek word, gnosis, which means knowledge. And what they put forth was this God is holy, God is pure, God is all goodness. God's all powerful, God's all knowing. But at the same time that God existed in eternity, there was something else that existed in eternity. And was something called matter, M A T T E R, the material world. And that material world was evil. And God who is holy cannot be with this material world. And everything that we have in this world, it's evil, it's suffering. And so they said was, God was divorced. God was separated from the evil world. And so people said, well then, how did this world come to be? And they created this other God, this creator God. And this creator God is nothing like the true God. This creator God has a sense of evil within themselves. This, this, and this creator God's the only one who can touch matter. And so this creator God put the world together, apart from God, apart from God's vision, God's design, God's character. And people bought it. People began to see that, hey, you know what? What happens in this world? Hey, it really doesn't matter. There's evil in the world. There's going to be evil in the world. And there's suffering in the world. And it all comes from this creator God. But God, God is, is beyond this. And so the only way to really know who God is is to escape this world and go to the state of knowledge and, and to elevate yourself, to enlighten yourself. And that was how they resolved the pain and the suffering of this world. And John says, no. That's not who Jesus is. Jesus was not something created. Jesus was in eternity. And all things, all things that were created, even you as a person, all things were created through him and for him. But this problem of evil, it's real. This problem of suffering, it's real. Now, how do we resolve it? If we believe that God is all good and all powerful and all knowing, then why does all of the world seem right now it's, that God's not here? That everything is sort of just going crazy. It's like the parent has left. And the kids are running the house and they're destroying the house and having this massive kegger and party and just, everything's just in destruction. Where is God? And boy, in the marketplace of ideas, there are a number of ideas. Gnosticism that John was combating was one of those ideas. But the Christian faith that says there is only one God who is all-powerful, almighty you know, look at some other religions, Eastern religions. They so look at uh, Hinduism, parts of, parts of Hinduism and Buddhism talk about karma, right? You see someone who, who is ill or you're going through suffering and say, well, that's, that's because I'm paying for what I did in my former life. That I, that I am, because I, I did something in my former life, then I'm having to pay the consequences of that. I sort of remember, it's about maybe, I don't know, eight or eight or nine years ago, and, but I do remember, it was a Saturday, University of Tennessee was playing Florida, and I wanted to watch the game. And my wife said, hey, um, uh, I'm going to the store to get some food. Caleb's here, my son Caleb is here with a friend, and uh, you, can, can you watch him? God, ah, no problem. So I went, I talked to Caleb and his friend Stuart, I said, hey, all right, am you guys good? Good, so I'm gonna go inside and watch the game. You guys just don't get in trouble, don't do any crazy. Hey, we're fine. Well, 30 minutes later, my uh, wife comes back, and she's like, what is going on? I'm like, what do you mean? What do you mean is going on? She just Caleb and his friend Stuart are digging in my garden, they're burying the gerbils. I go, the gerbils? What? And I come rushing down and go, what is going on? Now, first of all, I don't think there's any purpose for gerbils in life. All they do is eat plastic. That's all they do, is eat plastic. They look cute, but there's, I don't know. Okay, that's a side note. So I go and I'm like, guys, what are you doing? And they begin to tell me this whole story about how, how the gerbils, how they're keeping the gerbils from our dogs and the gerbils had a heart attack and they buried them in the garden. I'm like, What? They go, yes, they're dead. We got we to bury them. So we dug up. I'm sitting here, not watching the gang, which is probably good. I dug up the gerbils, these two gerbils, and I then put them in another place and bury them. And I remember as I am burying them, Caleb's friend, Stuart, says, Caleb, man, you just got some bad karma. Yesterday, right? You had another animal die. Today, you got two gerbils die. And that, that whole phrase... He's got some bad karma. That that we sort of use this word karma throughout our whole culture, right? It, it It sort of means that if you want to do something, you got to work at it. That's not the gospel. The gospel says that we don't get what we deserve because actually what we deserve is God's wrath. What we deserve is punishment for our sins. What we we deserve is the result of all this rebellion against God, all of our selfishness. But God doesn't give us that. What does God give us? Life. He gives us grace. He rescues us from this world that no matter what I have done in my former life, Right? whatever we done up until this moment, God forgives us. God rescues us. God restores us. Through the cross of Jesus, we are made new. That there is light who's come in the darkness. The darkness has understood this. Why? Because the gospel is not of this world. It's from out of this world, coming into this world. But this problem of evil it exists. This problem of suffering There's folks who who claim themselves to be atheists. And so how they resolve this issue is saying, well, there's just no God. And so God's not present. God doesn't exist. And so what we have here in this world is everything led by chance and and, then everything led by sort of evolution is sort of everyone's left to their natural tendencies, right? It's a survival of the fittest, yeah, okay. So so someone who is who is wealthy or strong who overcomes the weak, that's just the way it is, right? That's what happens in the natural world. People have to eat one another for survival. That that it just happens. This is just the way the world is. And they sort of wash away that there's no God. C. S. Lewis was an atheist. And then writing in 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 one of his books, this is what he says. He says, my my argument against God was that the universe seemed so cruel and so unjust. But how I got this idea of just and unjust? Hmm." He says, a man does not call a line crooked unless it has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing the universe with when I called it unjust? What, what Lou is saying here is that, is that, okay, we sort of look at this line and we say it's crooked. Well, if I say that line is crooked, then there must be a standard. There must be a straight line. But well, where did I get that idea? If I say this world is evil, then where does, that, where does that come from? Then it means that if I call something evil, that means then I have a category of evil. That means I'm measuring against something. I'm measuring against good. What he's saying was that is that his frustration with this world was that it was unjust. But as he began to look for an answer to this, he said, well, wait, where did I get these categories, just and unjust? Uh-huh. God. Because I was created, he goes on, in the image of God. God put that in me. But for an atheist to say something is evil... then there must be something that is good. They're measuring against some standard. I mean, we live in a country and we live with generations now who have nothing to do with God. They have nothing with God. I mean, we look at what happened on Wednesday. It was awful. Disgusting. But for an atheistic culture to say, a secular culture to say, well, that was evil. Then I say, well, where did you get that idea? Because you don't believe in God. We're living in a world of outrage. Outrage. Of suppression. Of hurt and pain. And all these marketplace of ideas, just to run away from it. Or there's no God exists. That's not the Christian faith. The Christian faith deals with it. The God who created everything where Jesus was present and everything was made through him has come to answer, has come to put, to resolve this hurt and this pain in this world. It is the only idea in the marketplace of idea that stands above all other religious ideas. The Christian faith does not deny evil and suffering and pain. It deals with it. It deals with it. It does something about it. As much as as pain and evil and suffering push people away from God, it also pulls people toward God. It's in times of suffering where, where we we pray more, where we read the scriptures more, where we seek God out, where we realize that our worldviews are falling apart and we need something that will sustain us. I remember meeting with my friend, Brett. He was going through an awful divorce. It's all because of his fault and he knew it. He knew that the way he had lived his life and he was addicted to alcohol. And because of that, it it destroyed his family. And I remember meeting with him and he was telling me the story how he brought so much pain and hurt and how he couldn't go back and restore that. But he said, in the midst of, the, midst of all this, guess what's, guess what's happened to me? i like, I don't know. He says, I met Jesus. I met Jesus. I, I realized that he died for me on the cross. He, he took all my suffering and my pain. And in him, I'm new. But I still have to deal with all these consequences. Peter says this. In 1 Peter chapter 4, it says, Dear friend, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. As if something strange is happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ. At the Christian faith saying there is sometimes there's a purpose behind the suffering. We can't see it. But the suffering and evil can push us toward Christ. Peter goes on and says, So then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faithful creator and continue to do good you're saying that, yes, we are going to suffer. Suffering is part of life. The Bible doesn't ignore it, doesn't wash it away, doesn't theorize it away. No, it embraces it. That's in the suffering that God has come to us in Jesus. The creator God has come into this world to relieve suffering. I, I believe we are gonna suffer and continue to suffer until Jesus returns. And we know that one day, every tear will be wiped away. But in the midst of this, he has given us hope that God has come and his only son who was persecuted and beaten and took all of my sins and your sins and went to the cross. The one who all things came into being through him, the creator who has all power and might submitted himself to the suffering of this world because he didn't want us to live anymore without knowing that there is hope and there is healing. And then he came and he came onto that cross and he was nailed to that cross. And when I look at the cross, I say, God has done something about suffering. God wants us not to ignore it, but God has come to rescue us from suffering. He has come to redeem the suffering. That yes, he took all this evil and he used it for good to rescue us. That there is hope and there is healing. That the struggle conforms us to Christ. It brings us to Christ. The Christian faith says that we can find hope in the midst of suffering, that there is a meaning to suffering. A philosopher says that imagine a tent and, that, and there's a St. Saint, Saint Bernard and we want to go and say, you know what, I'm going to go into this tent. I want to look and see. I want to find this St. Bernard. And you go to the tent looking for a St. Bernard and St. Bernard is not there. And you get frustrated. You're like, ah! There's no St. Bernard because you set your idea like, I want to go find this in the tent. But he said, there are other things in that tent. There's little bugs called no see because because you can't see them. And sometimes in life, there are things that God is doing that we can't see what he's doing. But that doesn't mean he's not good and he's all-powerful and he's almighty. doesn't mean that he doesn't love you and he hasn't forsaken you and he's with you. doesn't mean that the work of Jesus on the cross and his word is true. It means it is. It means that sometimes we can't see what he's doing. But even though we can't see what he's doing, it doesn't mean that he's not working and he's not moving. He's not bringing us. That's what's beautiful about the Christian faith. That God came and did something about evil and suffering. That Jesus entered the pain and the suffering of this world. Doesn't answer everything. But he entered into the pain and the cross of the suffering. He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? someone says, I, I can't overcome the loss of a child. God loved us so much that he gave his only son. He gave his son. He lost his child. He gave his son for us. I read this past week about someone who had experienced tremendous abuse in their life. And they were talking about how they met Jesus. That's what they said. What brought me to faith was Jesus there on the cross without any clothes, being ridiculed and abused and yelled at and mocked. And what I found was Jesus had been where I had been. He'd been where I'd been. The creator steps into our world to save us and to rescue us and we ask why and why and why? Jesus on the cross saying, why God? There's no other religion, no other idea, nothing that identifies God was suffering in the Christian faith but he's come to deal with it. He's come to rescue it. He tells us one day there was not going to be suffering, but now in the midst of it, I am with you. And maybe today is the day to give your life to Jesus. Maybe today is the day to realize that he's died for you. Realize that you don't have to suffer alone. Realize that we don't have to understand all these things going on in this world. But even though we can't see God right now, he has come and he said yes in Jesus. And he's revealed his son to us. He went to the cross for us. On the third day, he was raised from the dead. And he said nothing in this world can hold us back from him, not even death. He was raised to life and he is living and he deserves all praise and glory and honor. He wants to live in our life. He wants to know how much he loves us and redeems us and restores us. And whatever pain has happened in the world, he wants to forgive it and use it for his glory and for our sake. That's a God that we worship here. That's a God who wants to live in your life through Jesus and impart his spirits to live in you so you don't live in weakness. You live in power because he has overcome it all. So maybe today is that day to invite Jesus into your life. Please pray with me. Oh, Lord Jesus, as everything in this world seems to be falling apart, it's only in a world like this that we didn't cling to you. And that we embrace you. Oh God, walking in faith, it's hard. But walking in faith, oh God, right now, it's a time for you to revive us and make us new. Allow for us to come alive in you. Oh God, that all things have been created. That we were created for a relationship with you. That we were created not for this world, for a world that is coming a world where there's no more pain. And you've given us a taste of that world through Jesus coming in this world, taking on flesh and embracing this world and going to the cross and dying for us. Lord, you are all good. And you are all powerful. And you want to do something about the evil and the suffering and the pain in this world. And you don't want us to deal with it alone. But God, we want to hold on to it. Amen. I remember that day. I was telling someone this past week. I remember that day when I heard the gospel and I was invited to accept Jesus, but I was so caught up in pride. I held on. I said, "No, I don't want that." It was only till I released it to that I cannot. I cannot. Only when you came and said, "I can." And you made me into something and you healed me and you rescued me. And you gave me light in the midst of darkness. Oh, Jesus, will you do that for all of us here today? Oh, Jesus, will you do that right now for the person who is listening to this, who says, I can't do it anymore. Maybe today is the day to say yes to Jesus. And right now we have people right now in the chat rooms, on Facebook Live, who are ready to walk with you and pray with you right now to say, I need Jesus. And they're there to help you. We're there right now. We need Jesus to rescue us from our pain and the hurt and the heartache and the suffering. He was a man of all sorrows who took all the pain in the world and to relieve us from it by dying on the cross on the third day being raised again. Oh, Lord, may you be magnified. May you come into this nation and may you revive us. May you start with the church and allow for us to come alive. May we not look the politicians. May we look to you. Our hope is not in chariots or horses. Our hope is in you. Oh God, bring us to you. Your truth may set us free. And we ask all this in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Amen.